In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, 16 and 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And Ephesians 1, 11 and 12 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And lastly, in Ephesians 2.10, the word says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. That was my grandson who so appropriately interrupted the scripture reading. His name is Lane Gregory, and uh, uh, we, we, we love our children here, don't we? We really do, and, and we celebrate the babies that we have in our church. There's so many of them, and, and they're just wonderful. They bring life. They bring energy to a fellowship, and uh, so we're very thankful as a congregation. I also want to thank Bart uh, Mazzarella for, for leading us in the scripture reading. Uh, his wife, Kaz, is not doing well today, and, uh, but he made a commitment to come, and nobody knew that she was not doing well. We would have said, Bart, stay with her, but he wanted to come and fulfill his commitment before he went home to her. So I'm very thankful to him. Please keep Kaz in your prayers. Uh, let me also share that it's good to be back with you. I know that uh, Scotty Brown did a great job preaching last Sunday. I had a chance to listen to the sermon and loved it and loved the worship. And uh, my mom was on the piano and Joanna did a great job leading worship. And uh, it was a great service. So many of the, yes, amen, praise God, they all did great. And, uh, but, but so many of us in the worship ministry went up to Nashville to the SING Conference. What I love about the SING Conference, it's an annual event that we attend, at least we have up to this point, and you know, uh, maybe next year we'll do the same thing, maybe we'll do something different, I don't know. But it's a wonderful experience because the emphasis is first and foremost on, on rich theology in worship. They really do stress the importance that our songs are not just lyrically cool, but they, they teach Bible. They teach the truth of God, and that's so beautiful. And then secondly, uh, that they put an emphasis on congregational singing. Uh, rather than being driven by a band, rather than being driven by vocals on the platform, they are here to help us, the congregation, worship God and sing out. And where in a lot of churches, if you go into them, uh, you can't even hear the person next to you singing. You, can't, you just hear what's happening up on the platform. And, uh, but our emphasis is that we want the congregation to be heard because there's something about the church that comes together in worship of God. And the scripture talks a lot about that. So great conference. We had a wonderful time uh, building stronger relationships with each other. And it's good to be home. And today we launch into the book of Nehemiah, where we will not even get to verse 1 yet. Uh, today is the introduction of Nehemiah. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to just share some thoughts. We will cover some history, some biblical history today. Uh, if you're not a history buff or a person that enjoys history, uh, this is a lousy day for you to come to church. Um, you'll have to suffer through it. Uh, but maybe, maybe it'll be better than you thought, okay? And you can go home happy like the rest of us. Uh, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to be challenged by the word, to be strengthened by the word, to be encouraged by the word, and to be even rebuked by the word. 
Your word is everything to us. It is our manual for living in this world. And I pray that today, Lord, we would receive the word as the inspired word of God. And we would walk in it, believe it, live it, breathe it. And that, Lord, it would transform how we live. And that would have an impact on those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are absolutely about to embark on a new chapter in the life of Vero Bible Fellowship. Uh, as we are in process of purchasing property and a building that we will use as our home base for ministry. It's out off of 82nd Avenue. How many of you have seen it? You've gone out and driven by it? Yeah, I'd say majority of you have. I had somebody this morning, one of the young people said, looked at their parent and said, so we're not going to the church today? <laughs> They're ready, man. And I'm with them. I'd like for it to happen today. But we have this thing called a closing that has to happen before we can actually uh, move forward. And even after the closing, we've got a lot of work to do on the property and in the building. And it's going to require this entire congregation uh, getting their hands dirty, shoulder to shoulder, working, which is a wonderful thing, amen, that together we go out and we, we take this property that God has given us and we develop it and we make it into something that brings glory to his name, that it becomes a lighthouse over Indian River County and even beyond that people can find hope, they can find encouragement, they can find safety through the word of God that is taught, through the congregational love that is given. And I'm just excited about the future. For the past five years, this October, we will have been here at Storm Grove Middle School. Five years here at Storm Grove, uh, which is pretty cool. And we've had an impact here at Storm Grove. We've given upwards of $30,000 to the school for the children that are going without certain things that kids ought to have when they go to school, namely food. They need to be able to eat. And some of the kids, they're not getting a meal in the morning. And so their only meal really is coming to school that day. And we want to make sure that they're blessed and they're taken care of and clothing as well. And the school has been so appreciative of how we, a church, have come alongside them to minister to the students that need help. And that will continue, by the way, after we move. Just because we're leaving this site on Sunday doesn't mean that our ministry with the students ends. We will continue that. That's important to us. I, I want to ask a question. How many of you, well, so we meet on Sunday here, and for the last five years, we meet in other locations through the week for ministry. So a lot of the ministry happens in homes. Uh, and then some of the ministry happens like at Church of Christ. They, they've been gracious to us. Uh, we, we're, we're just, we should be so thankful, right, for those who've opened their homes in our, in our body so that we can meet and minister. We can be thankful for the Church of Christ providing space for us to rent at a very, very nominal fee in order to conduct our ministries. But how many of you can go back with me and remember when we first started and we didn't even have a Sunday service. We just met on Thursday nights for prayer and a short Bible study. Uh, does anybody, were you here back then? R lift a hand. Okay. There were only about 40 total. So uh, many of the hands went up of that 40. That's awesome. Um, and now, just five years later, we face this new chapter in our journey with God. And I believe God's been in every aspect, in every step of the journey that we've taken. It's wonderful to join him. Uh, I had those three passages read for you because they speak of a couple things that are important for us to remember. You might want to write these down. You can put them inside your journal if you like, even though it's not part of the verse uh, of Nehemiah. But first of all, write this in <clears throat> somewhere that you will not forget. I want you to write, God is always working among his people. Write that in. God is always working among his people. Now, he would like that work to be <clears throat> a good work. 
that is fulfilling his purposes, bringing glory to his name. But sometimes in the scripture, God's work among the people is judgment, correction, rebuke. But it's still God's work. And he still wants the same outcome through judgment, through correction, through rebuke. He wants the people to return to him that he might receive glory to his name. And then the second thing that we want to write into our journal is that God's desire is that we would join him in his greater work. God wants us to join him in his greater work, a work that is so great that none of us on our own, listen, or even together can accomplish it. In other words, if we're simply a humanitarian group, we wouldn't be able to accomplish what God has for us. Because God would never put upon us something that only man can do. Whatever God calls us to, it's going to be bigger than man. It's going to have eternal significance, and God's going to put us in a place where only by faith can you achieve this. That's why the scripture says in, in, in uh, Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so, so I, those two things are very important. And that brings me to our new series that we launched today from the book of Nehemiah. I want to just kind of help you understand why I believe the Lord led me to the book of Nehemiah. The reason we chose this book was because it really is a refresher course on how ministry happens in the life of God's people or in the life of the church. Nehemiah will give us a solid understanding for why and how we are to join God in this great work. It also reveals how God leads his people through stages of transition. We as a church are in a stage of transition. We're in a stage of transition. And, and that is where we need to really look into the scripture to understand how to conduct ourselves in transition. And Nehemiah is that book. Transition can come with a location change, with the purchase of a property. It can be a change in leadership. Transitions happen all the time in the life of God's church. But how we conduct ourselves, how we behave, how we carry out God's work in transitional periods, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it's great and it's important. Typically, people in any given congregation fall into one of, I'm going to list for you just five categories of people that I could think of. There's a lot more, but let me just give you five. And probably everybody in this room falls into one of these categories, and some of you might even cover two of them, okay? Uh, and these, these categories of people really become accentuated when you're in transition, okay? So, there are several groups of people in church during this time. Okay, here, here we go. Okay, first of all, write these down. The chillaxer. Chill out, okay? Chillaxers. Write it down. Chillaxer. You say, how do you spell it? I don't know. You spell it however it sounds to you, okay? Here's what the chillaxer will say. They'll say, we've arrived. Time to kick back and relax. So we're going to move into this new building. Now that we've bought the building, now that we've had our first, relax. Leisure is king. How comfortable are these chairs that we're in now compared to those metal chairs over at the school? Let's settle in and get comfortable. It would be more relaxing if we didn't have to add new people to our church. Everything about them is about relaxation and comfortability. The chillaxers. Maybe that's you. And then there's the investigators. Investigators, that's the curious crowd. We're here, we're just checking things out. No commitments, we're just observing. We're just snooping around a little bit, okay? We don't know if we'll stay, but we thought we'd at least check you out and see what this church is all about. When we move into the new place, believe me, we're going to have investigators show up. And we've got investigators in our church who are always snooping into anything they can get their snoop into. The third group is agitators. Agitators. These are the folks who no matter what is happening in the life of the church, they're, 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 they're going to 
ask a lot of questions, and they're skeptical. They question everything. They like, they're like interrogators trying to get to the bottom of it as if the church is hiding something from them. Inquiring minds want to know, Pastor Greg. And so you have agitators. I probably fall into that category myself a little bit. And then the next group is the advancers. Advancers. Whatever the church is doing, it ain't happening fast enough. Okay? Here's the advancer. There's always another hill to climb, always another mountain to traverse. The theme song of an advancer is Onward Christian Soldiers. We don't have time to stop and eat food. We don't have time to rest. we got to advance, okay? They just can't get enough. What's the next move? What's the next project? They don't feel the church is healthy unless they're in a building campaign or something. you gotta, you got to, they're just always wanting more and more and more. They're looking for the next thing. They think that the sign of a healthy church is a church that never rests, always has to be moving forward. In fact, their theme song is, if we're not advancing, we're dying, Okay? And another group, this will be the fifth one that I'll give you, is the organizers. The organizers. These are the folks who are opposite of the advancers. And it doesn't mean that an organizer doesn't want to advance, but here's the deal. What do you mean we're starting another new ministry? We can't even, we can't even do the ministries we've got well yet, you know? That's the organizer, okay? Let's learn to manage what we've got. They're quality control people. Healthy church to them is a church that is set up on systems. Where change is what fuels the fire for advancers, organizers see change as an out-of-control wildfire. So, so some of you are advancers and some of you are organizers. And the real issue is, are you sitting next to the other? Because if you are, if you're an advancer, you're sitting by an organizer, you're ready to get up and move. Go ahead now. Get up and move to another seat. We'll let you go ahead and do that. All five are here, okay? We got chillaxers and agitators, the whole investigator, they're all here. And if we, if we all had a hat that had our, our description on it, then we could just go ahead and schedule to seat all the groups in different locations of the church so we can have some unity around here, okay? No, that's not the way God's church works. God knows all these types of people exist in the same body. It was true in the Old Testament. It was true in the New Testament. You really wonder why there were 10 days for the disciples and the followers of Jesus to meet in an upper room and pray before the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and the church was, was launched? They needed prayer because they had all five groups in that room. It took 10 days of nothing but prayer to come into one accord. Well, that's why we pray. We need a work of God that's bigger than us in order to bring us together. Amen? Can you just admit that you're in a church of messed up folk? Because you are one? That's the truth. And that's every church. It's not just some churches. It's every church. And all, all these groups brings something that is good. Each group has a strength. And each group has a weakness. And we need each other. Amen? So, now do you understand why we're in Nehemiah? Because Nehemiah had to deal with the five groups and even other groups in order to accomplish what God put before them. In the story of Nehemiah, it is God's providential hand at work in three specific ways. Write these down. Three ways that God worked. First, he transitioned his people out of a 70-year captivity back to Jerusalem. Back to Judea, which is the region, the southern region of Israel. Second, so first of all, and this is all done by the providential hand of God. First of all, he transitions his people out of a 70-day or 70-year captivity and back to Jerusalem and Judea. Secondly, he is leading them to rebuild the decimated walls of Jerusalem for their future protection. So first of all, they're returning from being exiled. Secondly, 
They're going back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because right now any army could walk in and march over Jerusalem. There's no walls. There's no protection. And then thirdly, he is going to bring about a spiritual awakening among his people, which, by the way, is the reason he put them in captivity to begin with. The reason he hauled them off for 70 years was because they had taken foreign gods, foreign wives, foreign people had come into their land, and they were no longer worshiping the one true God. They had a lot of gods, and God disciplined them. And so now all of a sudden, they're coming home. They're coming home. So I, I, I just want you to see this. This, this, this is what we're going to be studying the transition period for Israel coming home, and that the outcome of that transitional period was incredible great awakening, that the people of God returned to the Lord. They rebuilt their faith in God. So this is a great study for us as a church as we enter a time of transition. Now, we'll begin our study with just a little bit of history, as I said. I'll give you just a little bit of modern biblical history and then a little bit of ancient biblical history okay let's start with the modern first acts chapter 6 you can turn if you want acts chapter 6 i'm just going to move through it quickly i'm going to make several points out of this little teaching in Acts 6 let me give you the context the context is since the day of pentecost now there's at least twenty thousand new believers in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Now you think about that. The day of Pentecost takes place, the Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised, and Peter preaches a sermon, 2,000 people get saved, and it continues day by day as the church meets at Solomon's Colonnade, they meet in homes, they meet for four reasons, for the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, prayer, and fellowship. And day by day, the Lord is adding to their number those who are being saved. Now they're probably at least, I mean, honestly, uh, at least 20,000. And there's a problem in that. And this is what I want to show you. Because, because Vero Bible Fellowship has issues, like every other church has issues. And there's a right way to go about dealing with issues in the church. And there are many wrong ways. So here's what I want you to see. There's all these logistical issues with all of a sudden going from 120 believers to, to 20,000 believers. One of the issues was the Hellenistic Jewish widows. That means a Hellenistic Jewish widow was a Jewish widow who was living prior to coming back to Jerusalem, she was living in the Greek world, under the Greek culture. She was still a practicing Jew, but that culture did rub off on her. So she was a little different, tribally speaking, than the Jewish women and widows that lived in Judea. So after 20,000 plus get saved, some of them are these Grecian or these Hellenistic Jewish widows. And instead of returning to their homeland where their culture is, they stay in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden there was an issue because those who were giving out, distributing the bread were not being fair. They were giving the Jewish widows a greater portion of bread than the Hellenistic Jewish widows. This is all happening inside the church. Hello. Churches have problems. They have issues. This was an issue. But the point of this teaching is how they handled the issue, the leaders, the spiritual leaders. The first point of this story is, point one is, you diagnose the problem. You diagnose the problem. The problem in Acts 6 was twofold. First of all, transition, and secondly, grumbling. And the truth is, where you have transition, you will have grumbling. We're about to enter a period of transition. There will be grumbling. Now, right now, it's all exciting, and everybody's so excited to get into the building. Believe me, as we go in that direction and we get there, there's going to be issues. I mean, starting out, if we were to start services before 
we have the, the flooring redone, before we have the walls completely painted, before we you know, have the pew chairs in place and we have to use metal for a little while. There will be some grumbling with that. We're not very far from Acts chapter 6 here, folks. And so the first thing that the leaders had to do was diagnose the problem. The problem, transition, and grumbling. Point two, determine the priority. What is the priority in light of the problem? Well, verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The priority for the leaders of the church was not to distribute bread, to make sure it was fair. Their priority was to teach the Bible faithfully and do a lot of praying. That was their role, okay? If you're going to determine the priorities of a church, there needs to be discernment. And, and the discernment was given to the leaders. We know that because in verse 2, it says, it, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. God had given them that instruction. So the spiritual leaders, while we transition, their, their job is not to transform from being spiritual leaders in prayer and the delivery of the word to those who mow the yards and take care of the painting and all that. No, that's where the people come in. We have to continue to be given to teaching the word of God and praying for the body. And that's what they determine. And then the third point, the last point, delegate the responsibility. Delegate the responsibility. So look what it says. In verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. We have a problem. The problem is the Grecian widows are not being given the same amount of bread. We must. The priority is that we pray and we continue faithfully in the Word of God. Listen, going to a location, having a church home, will not change the fact that we will be a church built upon the truth of God's Word and teaching that truth without compromise. That must continue. And we must be a church about prayer. Amen? Okay. Then the third point, delegate the responsibility. Verse 5, look at that. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose good men filled with the Spirit and wise, just as it says in the text. So, so they, they were able to work through the issue of transition and grumbling. And, and we will have to work through the issues that come up, but we have to do it from a spiritual perspective. We have to identify the problem. We've got to prioritize. We've got to use discernment to know what God is saying. And, and then, of course, we need to delegate their responsibility. Churches are not supposed to be all about the pastor or pastors or elders, which are pastors. The church is about the people. I want you to say that out loud. Just hear yourself say that. My church is about people. Say it. My church is about people. See, God is wanting to work through people. I think the message last week that Scotty brought was absolutely ordained of God because he talked about the congregation. He talked about your spiritual maturity. That emotion will never get you there. At some point, you've got to follow the word of God in order to grow. And, and it's about you. It's not about the pastors. Well, let me tell you what pastors will do if they're doing logistical stuff. They'll there'll be a bottleneck. They'll create a bottleneck. No, we need to be given to prayer and the ministry of the word, and we need to make sure that we delegate to those of you in the body who have leadership ability to handle and carry out these things. In a very practical sense, uh, if you've been by the property, you look out and you see all these oak trees, but they're sagging. They need to be lifted they need the limbs, need to be trimmed. It'll be beautiful. That's, that's work project. And that's not just a one-day project. There's a lot of oak trees on that property. That's probably several work days. But how beautiful we could make that property. Well, guess what? You don't need the pastor out there calling the shots. Well, you go over here. Yeah. Pastors need to be in prayer and study the word and getting their hands dirty next to the people. But we need those of you in the body who have ability to lead, to administrate, to organize, we need you to be working with people. Amen? Amen. Okay. So diagnose the problem, determine the priority, delegate the responsibility, and then there's a fourth point. And it's pretty cool. The fourth point is delight in the outcome. Delight in the outcome. Look at verse 7. 
And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. They carried out everything as they should, and what was the result? A delight to see God's work go forward. And what was the work of God? Salvation. Changing lives. Praise God. That has to be, listen, buildings are not, that's not the answer for God's church. Property is not the answer for God's church. It's his people in tune with him, carrying out his will, being faithful witnesses of Christ that others would be saved, and then teaching them everything that Jesus commanded the disciples and us by his word. Amen? All right, so that covers that. Now, let me give you some ancient history. Ancient history, okay? This is more about the context. This is the backdrop for the study of Nehemiah that will begin next Sunday, okay? We'll be in, I promise we'll be in chapter 1, verse 1 next week. I can't promise how far we'll get, but we will be in it. Okay, uh, here's ancient history, setting up Nehemiah. There was a shepherd boy who was called to the battlefield to provide cheese and bread for his brothers who were soldiers in the army of Israel. They were going up against uh, the Philistines. When he, when he arrives, they said, what are you doing here? You know, get back home where it's safe. Be with dad. Stay, stay close to your sheep. But he couldn't help but notice because he was a little nosy. He was an in investigator. And he noticed this giant that was taunting the army of Israel, the army of God. This giant was mocking God. And the brothers, and he said, why, why are you guys over here on the side of the hill instead of out on the battlefield taking this guy out, shutting his mouth? And they are like, little boy, go home. You don't know what you're talking about. Well, that little boy picked up five stones. He only used one, and when he was done, he chopped the head off of that giant because he was a man of faith. And he took matters into his own hands. And that little boy was David, who became the greatest king of Israel, who had a heart after God. Well, he was followed by his son Solomon, who was a brilliant thinker. I mean, really a sharp guy, who had been granted by God wisdom and discernment because he didn't ask God for the wrong things. And so he started out really, really good. And, and God used him. And he had favor with other nations, unlike any king before him, Saul or David. But he also committed some grievous sins. Namely, uh, he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, let me just tell you, his father did a little bit of messing around too. David was not a perfect man. He was a sinner. And even in the Old Testament, we see God showing redemption for David. And God would show the same for Solomon too. The problem was Solomon didn't just take wives of, of, of Israel. He took wives from all the other nations. And so he's now allowing these women to have an impact in his life. And they did. Take your Bible and turn, if you will, to 1 Kings chapter 11. And look with me at verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. I mean, it just spells it right out right here. That's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't hide us or hide from us the ugly things. The Bible's not a book made up to try to look good. The Bible is truth, raw truth. And that's what we see here. Look at verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughters of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn, your, turn away your heart after their gods. Well, Solomon clung to these in love. Look at that. He clung to these foreign women in love. He had 700 wives who were princes and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away 
his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. So Solomon and all of Israel would soon find out how sin pays a terrible wage. I don't think we have to look into the Bible to know that, do we? Look in your own life. Look at the wage that you've paid because of your own sinfulness. Look at how your sinfulness has affected those around you, those closest to you. I mean, I'm just telling you, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you far more than you really want to spend. And so here, the 12 tribes of Judah that were under Solomon's care in the kings that follow because Solomon left the door wide open for foreign gods, and now all of a sudden, the nation of Israel becomes divided. A civil war, much worse than the civil war of this nation. And now you've got 10 tribes that go to the north. They're up in Samaria. And then you've got two of the tribes, two of the 12, remain in the south, in Judea. You're a divided nation. And because of that, God brought great, and because of the foreign gods and the influence of all that, which was, was now crazy, I mean, it was just, it was just a, a cornucopia of sinful worship. And so now God says, I'm going to chastise those whom I love. Israel was to make my name great on the earth. They were to be the example to the other nations that there's only one true living God. But rather, they've taken on the other gods. They're just like the other nations. And so, so God sent messengers to them to warn them, which God always does. God is a gracious God. Even in the Old Testament, he's a gracious God. But they put their fingers in their ears. They did not want to hear what God had to say to them. So in 722 B.C., God moved the Assyrians in to invade the northern kingdom of Israel. The ten tribes were completely decimated. Those that they kept were the skilled, the politicians, those who seemed to have some use in the empire of Assyria. And their empire covered many nations that they had conquered. And they didn't, haul, they didn't haul all those northern kingdom uh, Jews off to the same place. They spread them. And they didn't just spread them by name. They spread them even in the household. Children went this way. Father went that way. Mother was sent this way. They were trying their very best to completely remove any remembrance of being God's people. When they hauled them off, they literally took hooks and hooked them and hauled them away. And God is the one who ordered all of this up. Let me just tell you, when you come into the judgment of God, you're not singing happy songs anymore. There are no new songs being sung that are joyful. You're only singing dirges. Now you're singing lament. And if you go in the Old Testament and look, that's what you will see, lament, because the people had turned from God. And Judah, the two tribes in the south, they were still in Jerusalem. They got to live in Jerusalem for another 300 years. That's longer than this nation's history. That's a long time. You're probably thinking after 300 years, hey, we're in the clear, we're good to go. Oh, no, God has not forgotten. They, too, turned to other gods. And 300 years later, God dealt with the southern kingdom. And I just want to say to you, all of this is for us to remember and know that as we go forward with God, God is not, he's not, it's not a sweet fragrance to his nostril that we have new paint on the walls of a building. It's not a sweet fragrance to him that we have a property we can call our own. The only sweet fragrance to God is the worship of his people before him, the sacrifice of his people before him, 
the people who put him ahead of everything else in this world. That's the only fragrance that God can receive from us that is worthy of him. And if we choose to go a different route, church, we'll get the same outcome. It just won't work. It won't be good. We might have a great, you know, humanitarian effort, but who cares about that? That dies when you do. We want to live beyond our years here. We want the name of God who is eternal to be great. We want to know that when we die, this church goes on in the kingdom of God until Jesus returns. Amen? But see, here's what happened to the people in the southern kingdom. So God, because of love and graciousness, sends to them prophets. And these prophets come with this message, and their message was very clear. If you will walk in this way, I will bless you, and I will prosper you. But if you choose a different way, I will send judgment upon you. And the people responded to God. They said, get out of here to the prophets. They stoned them to death. We don't want you around here. We don't want to hear what you have to say about God. Instead, they listened to the message of those who came around them at that time saying, peace, peace, tranquility, where the prophets of God were saying, you're doomed if you don't turn. This nation is doomed. But they didn't want to hear that, so they, they found those who could soothe them. What were they being soothed by? Falsehood. They would rather hear falsehoods because of the soothing message than to hear the hard, cold truth from God. And, and by the way, the prophets, very few followed them. If they held a church service, only a few people attended. These soothsayers, these false leaders, they had big churches. They were packed to the, to the brim with people because people liked what they were saying. They were telling me that I'm good, I'm okay. I can be blessed this way, that way, and I don't have to give up my sin. I don't have to follow God. And see, here's the problem. In our day, we have soothsayers. We have false teachers. We have some churches that are big are very healthy and they are following God. There are other big churches that are soothsayers. They're preaching falsehood. And people are there because they're able to hide out in their sin. I'm just telling you, uh, these guys that speak these soothing tones of falsehood, they make us believe that we can continue to disregard God and still be blessed. <laughs> okay, 2 Timothy 4. I want you to just, don't turn, write it down. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it for you. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Here's how you know a church that honors God from a church that does not. Paul, the apostle, gives a charge to young Timothy, who was his spiritual son. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Do you think he's being sober in his words with Timothy? And by his appearing in his kingdom. Here it is. Here it is. Listen. Verse 2. Preach the word. What is the calling of a shepherd of a flock? Preach the Bible. Now he's going to qualify what that really looks like. And some of you here maybe get bothered when you hear something that comes out and it sounds corrective or it sounds like a rebuke or, or it's, it, it just, I just don't like hearing that. It just doesn't, I don't like that. Well, there are some things that we say that we shouldn't say that just come out the wrong way. There can be a wrong attitude in the heart of a pastor when he says it. But then there's other times where it's exactly what God once said and you just don't like it. And I want you to hear this. Preach the word. Now look what he says. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? 
There's never a time when you stop preaching. And then he says this, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Three things. Not one of those things is fun. They're not fun to say and they're not fun to hear. But this is what God wants his church sitting under, a preaching of the word of God in every season of life that, that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. Now here's the good stuff. Listen, you do that with complete patience and teaching. For the time is come. Here's why Paul is so firm in this with Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, falsehoods, lies. As for you, always be sober. Endure suffering. Suffering is part of the path of a Christian, of a pastor. Do the work of an evangelist. What was the work of an evangelist? That guy was always traveling. He was always just getting by. He was walking by faith just to have a meal for the day. But he was faithful to the word of God, trying to get the gospel out. He says, that's how you should be. And then he says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill the ministry. Do the ministry that I've called you to. And everybody in this room, God is calling us to ministry. Do it. This is a strong word, is it not? Amen? Forget that stuff. That's what the people were saying. We just want to be coddled. Make us feel good. It looks like Paul is speaking of a future time when, when they will be given over to itching with itching ears. And he is. But if you read in the Old Testament, it happened there too. So Paul really is just telling them what happened in the Old Testament is going to happen in the New Testament in front of you. And it's happening today. But we only want to hear how good we are, even though we're dead in our sins. So for 300 years, the people of God are drawing to themselves these false prophets. And then judgment strikes in 722 B.C. The north is completely gone. That's, that's the Assyrians. They came in and took out the northern kingdom. Then in 586 B.C., God sends another foreign world power into the south to conquer Judah and Jerusalem. The invasion of the Babylonians. So now Nebuchadnezzar himself shows up and hammers the people of God. And all of this is the Lord's doing. By God's hand of providence, he has brought judgment upon his people. Why? Because Hebrews 12, 6 says, For the Lord disciplines those, the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. So what is God doing with the southern kingdom 300 years later? He is shellacking them for their unfaithfulness. Nebuchadnezzar brought his army to Jerusalem, and in 2 Chronicles 36, 19, it records, they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. The once blessed, encouraged people of God who, were, who became unwilling to listen to the voice of God were now carried off in chains 800 miles away from their home. And once again, as in Egypt, they're dragged away into slavery. They're under the burden of a foreign power. Not because God is not greater than those powers and could not spare them and save them and bless them, but because they turn from that God. Friends, I don't know what has become the God of your life. What gods exist in your life? What is a God? It's one to whom you pay homage you can't do without it. But whatever that God is, you will not like its wages. Only the one true God can fulfill what your heart and your life desire and need. There is no other way. 
The Lord determines the history of his own people, but he also fulfills his will through the mighty kings and foreign powers. Why? Because he is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, and he will use, he will use un-Christian people to discipline Christian people. Next week, we're going to begin at verse 1 in chapter 1 in this study. I want you to come locked and loaded, ready to grow in God. I, I, I want us as a people, and when I say us, I am including myself. I want to come like a dry sponge, and there's just a little bit of water, and I just want to get all over that water. I want that absorbed into me. God is going to give us his word. This is the bread of life. This is so important right now in the life of this church, the, trans, the transitional period we're entering. It's so important that we line up with God's word and understand God's word and follow God's word. So important that we stay close to him, that we not let issues of life, circumstances, so overwhelm us that it replaces God. That we not let boats and cars and houses and other things push God out of the center of our life. This is a time for us to grow. Uh, my prayer is that we would be, I mean, if you could just see the picture of God who lays out before you through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for your sins, God lays out before you a spread unlike anything that any wonderful cook or person with the gift of hospitality could provide. I mean, every kind of food you could imagine is on that table. I mean, I mean, you've got roast beef, mashed potatoes and gravy, country fried chicken. For those of you deep south folks, there's going to be some red-eye gravy for you and that southern ham that you like. All these wonderful vegetables that have just been cooked to perfection with the right seasonings. Am I making you hungry? There's going to be apple pie. There's going to be all these marvelous things at the table of God. Hey, listen, that's, that's what he has given you. And yet many of the people of God never take a seat at the table. In fact, they're just looking for a crumb when God's laid out a spread. This is your spread right here, the Word of God. That's your spread. Why would you nibble on a crumb of somebody's devotional book? Hello. Let's come ready next week to sit at the table of God and let's be fed the Word of God. And let's grow individually and as a church family for what we have coming. Amen? All right. Praise God. Praise God. Is the Lord good? Is he faithful? Will he deliver us from everything and anything? Yes, he will. Because this is his church. His church does not belong to me. It doesn't belong to a single elder. His church belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to you. It's the Lord's work that we're after. Amen? All right, good. Let me, ch let me change gears for a second as we close. I I'm sharing with you today some very, very difficult news. Very difficult news. Uh, news that we've only come into as elders recently. But the people that I'm going to speak of, it's not a quick decision. They've taken months to pray over this. And so today I need to share with you that Ray and Helen Garcia are going to be leaving Vero Bible Fellowship. Uh, Ray took time to sit with the elders and open up and share. Um, he's facing some physical issues that are significant. And that's not my place to share with you about anything in that area. Uh, that's Ray and Helen's business. But he has seen a continual digression in his physical health and ray as long as i've known him has never slept through a night i know this guy just he goes on some nights two nights two hours of sleep and it's taking a toll a lot of things in that arena that are just really and so uh that plus uh ray and helen have uh four grandson am i getting that right four grandsons uh a couple of helen's daughters uh, live in Palm Beach County, 
and the boys now are getting older, and they do not have a father, spiritual leader, influence, mentor in their life. Ray feels a tremendous burden for that, for those boys. So, so much so that even now, with all that Ray does here at Vero Bible Fellowship, uh, they drive down a couple times a week to spend time with the boys. And they've come to the conclusion it's not enough. Their desire would be to move to Palm Beach County to be closer. They're not sure that it's, it's feasible, but that's their heart's desire, to be as close as they can, to make sure those boys are going to church and to mentor, to, to pour into them, and the, and the daughters as well. And so that's the second thing. The third thing is uh, Ray and Helen both work. Helen has done just an a magnanimous job with our women's ministry. Helen, thank you so much for pouring into so many women and for being a leader in our women's ministry. And Ray, thank you, brother, for being an elder, for being a shepherd of this flock. Uh, two areas that Ray has just, God has just used him greatly. One is men's ministry. And the second is just general uh, shepherding of the flock, caring for people, calling on people, praying with people, and we're going to miss them. And there will not, there, there, we're not looking to replace them. You can't replace people like that, right? Uh, but we, God is at work. God is at work. Um, let me just tell you that their last Sunday with us will be uh, in two weeks on the twenty fourth. And you're going to be given an opportunity, I'm telling you now, if you want to write a card, a letter, to express your appreciation and love for them, please do that. And we'll make sure on the 24th to have a box that you can drop that in so they can leave and they can have time just to read and find out how much they're loved and how much they'll be missed. The reason they're leaving the church, and this is sad, but it's true, I know as a pastor, uh, Ray is a, he, he doesn't know how to say no to ministry. He made it very clear to the elders, I can't. If somebody comes to me, I, I can't turn them away. And he said, but I need to step out of ministry uh, in, in the body. Not, he's not walking away from ministry as a whole, but just in the body of Christ, in the ch local church. He needs to step back. It's easier to not be here than to be here and see the needs and not be able to, which he will get involved. So this is a decision they've made. Let's pray that God would open the right door for them to go back to Palm Beach County. Let's pray for Ray's health. Uh, a, a third thing I didn't mention, they want to do some traveling together. They haven't been able to do that, just the two of them to get away. So they're going to hopefully do a little bit of that as well, while, while his health is still at its place where he can do that. So um, tough news, isn't it? No easy way for me to share this. I have dreaded sharing this with you since I first heard about it two, over two weeks ago. Ugh. Mm. The friendship, you know, with both Ray and Helen um, and just how much of an impact they've had, it's so hard. It takes me back to Brother Bill, who was so much a part of our fellowship. And then, you know, the Lord uh, took him to heaven. Well, Ray, you're going to be here for a long time, bro. But uh, so, so come ready in two weeks to show your love. In fact, today, next Sunday, uh, if they're here, I'm not sure you guys are going to be south or whatever. You're going to be here? Great. Uh, take time. This is, you're giving, we're giving you two weeks to say your goodbyes. I, I know some pastors that get up and they just make the announcement and that's it. They walk out. Uh, it's just so harsh, so, so cold. They're wanting to be able to say goodbye. They're wanting there to be some closure with the people that they love. Now, they're not giving up friendships. So you can still call them as friends. But I would say to you, uh, be mindful of, of Ray and Helen and all they're trying to do right now, okay? I don't know that I can say anything else about it. I feel for the body because I know what I feel when I first heard it. And I know what you guys have to be feeling. My heart goes out to you. But again, this is the Lord's church, and God has a plan. And already some things are being considered, being talked about amongst spiritual leaders. We're trying to be discerning. 
so that we can act in things that God would have us do. Amen? All right. Uh, God bless each of you. I pray that you have a great day in the Lord. Hey, rejoice in all things. Again, I say rejoice. God bless you, Ray and Helen. If you'll hang out, you know, I'm sure some folks want to see you. Prayer partners, please come up uh, if you'd like. Also, Steve uh, Huber has a heart catheterization procedure tomorrow. So if some of you would like to come up and we'll lay hands on Steve and pray for him, we'll do that. Uh, Steve, just come up and have a seat over here in one of these metal chairs and we'll, we'll pray for you as well. Yes. Uh, anybody else want to come of the, of the prayer partners or elders, feel free to come up and we'll be there for people who need prayer. God bless each of you. Thank you for being part of the fellowship.